Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 26th of October, 2021. Um, I'm going to do a few more of these audio lectures because I've gotten some new insights into uh, T lymphocyte immunobiochemistry that I'm going to try to lay into these last lectures on aging and um, the immune response in humans associated with morbidity and mortality. So that's what I'm trying to do now is a little bit of um, deep dive into some T-cell literature so that when I do these last two video lectures, which are coming up real soon, um, I'll be able to incorporate them without going through a lot of the um, molecular dialectics I'm going to do today and next time. So let's just get started with it. All right, so... I've told you before that immunosenescence is an aging-associated pathological condition, and it has to do with the dysfunction of immune homeostasis. And there's a direct clinical consequence of this immunosenescence, and it results in an increased incidence in the severity of multiple types of infection, bacterial, viral, fungal, parasitic, for example, Metastatic and aggressive cancers are also upticked as you age because of immunosenescence. Organ degeneration, tissue degeneration, CNS degeneration, such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And of course, the overarching metabolic diseases. And finally, autoimmune disorders. All of that is linked in one way or another to an altered T cell functionality. And that includes, but certainly not limited to, T-cell-dependent B-cell activation. You also, of course, have antipresenting cell reading and redirecting T-cell activation and differentiation with a sequelae to the microenvironment, sometimes right at the uh, immunological synapse, but of course, long distance in the serum, for cytokine and chemokine and growth factor secretion and ultimately reception and then either inducing an inflammatory response or doing cell signaling associated with natural killer cell demise of infected cells or sometimes natural killer T-lymphocytic interactions, which we're going to get into soon. <clears throat> Now, again, very generally, T-cell signaling occurs, of course, with the TCR, T-cell receptor, which T-cell receptor, which of course is the result of several recombination events during the schooling of the T-cell receptor when the T-cells are still naive to be able to remove via negative selection any T-lymphocytes that might attack host cells, right? So, you know, that's a recombinatorial event. But besides the TCR, you also have CD28 and CD3. Those are all two cell surface co-receptors for the TCR to function. So T cells are activated by antigen presentation, of course, and this is by professional APCs, where most efficient APCs are usually considered to be dendritic cells because they can do multiple functions. But you also know that monocytes and macrophages, and in fact, even microglia in the central nervous system, and B cells, usually associated with complement, 
are able to present or co-present antigens to T cells. T cells, yes, can enter the CNS. We've talked about this. Particularly the innate lymphocytic cell lineages, which look a lot like T cells, but even some of the T helper cell lineages. So APC cells, the antigen presentation cells, occur within a context of the major histocompatibility restriction complexes, right? And these incur a, a cascade of signaling events, all of which are occurring in naive T cells. This changes bioenergetics and ultimately it culminates in a chromatin retailoring and subsequent transcription, transcription factor expression. And that all then leads to an activation of a suite of genes that results in the synthesis and secretion initially of a cytokine known as interleukin-2. You get many other cytokines and chemokines and growth factors, but IL-2 is one of the initial triggering cytokines because it also acts as a growth factor for T lymphocytes. In addition to all this, activated T cells initiate an immune response, sensu stricto, and traverse differentiation pathways along that uh, sequence of events, and that all results in the development of differential T-cell lineages according to a priming condition, which is always regulated by the cytokines and chemokines that are secreted within that immune synapse and the axes associated with it. So I could also tell you that there's, I think, a universal requirement for any T-cell response to be a marked proliferation. That has to happen to accomplish clonal expansion. And of course, that's critical for generating T cells in sufficient number to eliminate whatever's inducing the initial antigen presentation, usually some kind of etiologic agent or pathogen. Memory T cells, of course, possess different stimulatory requirements than naive T cells. We've talked about these, but the efficiency of both the naive and the memory T cell lineages become greatly diminished as we age. That's a part of the immunosenescence, remember? Picture of it, actually. Now, TCRs, T cell receptors, deliver what can be called the first signal. And unfortunately, that first signal is not going to give you a full-blown T-cell activation. When I say unfortunately, I say that actually ironically, because if it did induce a full T-cell activation without a co-stimulation or co-receptor, kind of like as a feed-forward mechanism for complete activation, we would get a lot of false positive T-cell activation. And once you get that, you could get rampant pro-inflammatory response with um, only the T regulatory cells and a potential for energy to deactivate that system once it's turned on. So T cells do indeed require these co-receptors. I just mentioned a couple of them. The most significant one that we can talk about right here today is CD28. And CD28 is recognized by CD80 and CD86 ligands. And those are found on the antigen presenting cells. All of that could be called the second signaling phenomena for T cell activation. So you got CD28, and it's involved in 
the re-expression and increased presentation of the T-cell receptor. You also get recruitment and stabilization of that T-cell response to the immune synapse, right? So that whole thing has to turn on because of CD28. That is a correct expression and, and presentation of the T-cell receptor uh, to the immune synapse, which of course is going to be via the plasma membrane. And there's going to be an alteration of plasma membrane lipid metabolism, which is going to include subsequently intracellularly an upregulation of the phosphatidylinositol 1,3 biskinase signaling pathway. We talked all about this in the past. Furthermore, that's all CD28 now. CD28 co-stimulation, besides that, synergizes with TCR activation. And when that kicks in, you get an induction of interleukin-2. told you that happens primary, but also interleukin-4, 5, and 2 necrosis factor, as well as granulocyte macrophage colony stimulating factor. All of that is via NF-kappa-B activation. So you get more co-stimulation, and finally you get an activation of naive cells and this is far more profound, that initial le level of stimulation, than what is necessary for memory T cells. But it's now established that the CD28 expression is indeed decreased with aging. So all that activation, thermodynamics and bioenergetics is going to be lost as we age. And that happens in both CD8 positive and CD4 positive lymphocytes. And you have actually a further decrease in CD28 expression in the CD8 lineage, which you know is going to be linked to the natural killer cell populations, right? That's correct. So both those signals during T cell activation, again, upon antigen presentation within that synapse. Now this again is an immune synapse between a T cell and say a dendritic cell or another professional APC. So you get the T cell receptor reacting with the major histocompatibility complex of the antigen-presenting cell. You've got a CD4, CD8 um, protein on the surface of the T cell. And then you've got this CD28, which is the co-stimulatory signal number two. And that reacts in the, with the antigen-presenting cell B7 protein. And that initial induction now turns on interleukin-2 synthesis, well, expression of the protein, and then glycosylation, movement through the endoplasmic reticulum, Golgi, and through the plasma membrane and out of the T cell. That's where interleukin-2 is generated. And that's going to act as a paracrine and somewhat even as an autocrine growth regulator for that increasing now in T cell proliferation. So interleukin-2 acts as both autocrine and paracrine once it's generated by this TCR-CD28 coactivation. Now, what are some of the age-related alterations in T-cell signaling? This is why we're talking about it today. Well, there are many of them, and you, we've, we've observed them in animal models, but also that's been backed up in clinical studies. The most important changes you see in CD4 positive T cells results in basically a decrease in the production of that initial interleukin-2. 
and therefore a decrease in clonal expansion. Okay, so you have less than a hardy T cell response because you have less IL-2 being generated. Now, there don't seem to be that many changes in T cell receptor number at the cell surface with aging, but the number of CD28, which I just mentioned to you, co-stimulatory molecules, does decrease with aging. Now, it's in humans. Now, due to the essential role of CD28 to prevent T cell energy, I didn't bring that up before, I'm doing it now, the decrease in the number of that co-receptor will affect T cell responses, of course, in the aging humans. It will be less robust. Now, nearly all the activity of that signaling pathway associated with the T cell receptor activation or IL-2 receptor mediated responses, which you synthesize it acting as paracrine or autocrine, all of those have been altered with aging. Okay, they've been shown to be altered with aging. In fact, there's an alteration in the early phases of T cell activation, including a protein tyrosine phosphorylation cascade that leads to that IP3 pathway and calcium mobilization, and of course, ultimately the translocation of PKC to the plasma membrane. In addition to those intracellular phenomena and signal transduction cascade, subsequent steps in that pathway, including the RAF, RAS, MAP kinase pathway, also are impaired with aging. So the decline in a proximal and intermediate events associated with transmembrane signaling, and some of that has to do with ceramide cholesterol, membrane rafts, all of that leads to a decreased activity of transcription factors because less, of, less transcription factor is being itself expressed, and especially the NF-kappa B and the NFAT proteins, all acting in trans as transcription factors. That all results in an altered production of the cytokines not just IL-2, but all the other ones that you find as a repertoire for aging T-cells. That's been observed in the T-helper lineage, um, and the cytokines involved there are 2, 6, and of course, TNF-alpha. Now, you have another protein called the LCK. Whenever you hear a K, you know it's going to be a kinase, right? So we have an LCK regulatory loop that gets altered with aging. So it was shown that there are altered TCR signaling uh, deficiencies at the level of what's called the LCK pathway. And this LCK actually is really important for TCR signaling at the initiation phase. You get a phosphorylation of the T-cell receptor by the LCK, and that initiates all those downstream signaling processes I just mentioned. It does so by creating binding sites that recruit now, this is intracellular, the cytosolic kinase ZAP70. ZAP is zeta chain associated protein kinase 70. And that all has to happen to go to the cell membrane. So LCK is regulated by the C terminal itself, is regulated by the C terminal CERT kinase, that's called the CSK. And it's controlled by transphosphorylation and ultimately by dephosphorylation by a phosphatase. So the LCK cycling 
between an unphosphorylated or prime state active and then inactive state. The LCKC terminal, tyrosine 505, that's particularly that one, becomes phosphorylated by the CSK, and that, that of course, will um, provide the means by which the LCKC terminus will bind to its own SH2 domain, which closes the molecule. Okay, so it finishes the protein folding process. Now, in contrast to that, the trans-autophosphorylation of LCK activation loop tyrosine 394, I told you I was going to get down to the molecularity. This is authentic biochemistry, so don't get too worried. Okay, so when you get to that LCK activation loop tyrosine 394, that activates the kinase activity via rearrangements of the active site. Okay, no big deal, just protein folding, now exposing an active site. We've talked about this in general biochemistry. If you, of course, were lucky enough to have it with me. Now, in resting cells, equal, uh, e the equilibrium probably exists between that LCK phosphorylated on both of those two tyrosine sites. And that's going to result in various levels of kinase activity. It's going to be determined then by the actual concentration of the enzyme CSK, but also CD45 and SHIP1. Remember, SHIP1 stands for Circomology 2 Domain Containing Protein Tyrosine Phosphatase 1. Okay, you get the phosphatase with the kinase because that's how you get the cycle regulated. So, reduced phosphatase activity within a close contact zone of the LCK results in LCK activation via that trans autophosphorylation now at the active site to tyrosine 394. However, it looks like some part of that LCK is always in an active form, even in resting T cells. That's where, and we notice this because there's a decrease of phosphatase activity, which would, of course, induce the signaling cascade, as well as the segregation of various membrane domains. Now we're talking ceramide, cholesterol, membrane lipid domains, these lipid rafts. Indeed, at the basal state, because of this phosphorylation cascade, now at the basal state, the LCK kinase partitions preferentially into various receptor compartments where the active and the inactive LCK forms coexist with a different, I'll call it a stoichiometry, so that it interacts with distinct pools now of a CD4 protein, which is on the surface of the cell, and this kinase, the CSK, which has been recruited. Thus, modulation of the phosphatase activity in the close contact zone is an essential um, prolegomena for TCR activation because it releases the already active LCK kinase. Now, beyond that, there's one more step. In resting lymphocytes, the protein called FIN, that's F-Y-N, is also a, the predominant CERC family tyrosine kinase, which is going to call an SFK here, which is responsible for PAG, C, 
FBP, that's a fossil protein associated with GEMS, CSK binding protein, all of that phosphorylation, which recruits the CSK to that intramembranous region and therefore regulating the LCK activity. That's how it all comes into place. So you have membrane topodynamics and you have protein rearrangement because of that, all linked with changes in phosphorylation state of the proteins. And that's all linked up to the initial activation because of the antigen presentation cell. Okay. And we understand now when we add a phosphate, you're going to change then the chemistry of the intramembranous system, right? You're going to open up a channel because more water will be able to hydrate that phosphate ester rather than having that very densely organized um, lipid milieu, which is with intermembranous systems conventionally. You understand all of that, right? Now, consistent with all that, the strong T-cell receptor stimulation induces a constitutive PAG phosphorylation, and that will therefore cause a dissociation of the CSK which becomes the, the, the major negative regulator of LCK activity. And all of that then ultimately is linked to induction of the T-cell receptor signal transduction cascade. Okay, So now you, get, now you get the whole picture now, including the lipids. Really important, I think, for you to be able to grasp that. Okay, so I'm going to try to finish up here. I know that I've been giving you a lot of detail, but I don't want to miss out on this other segment. Okay, so the LCK is a central node in T cell receptor signaling. Following the T cell receptor CD3 complex ligation, that's the LC kinase phosphorylation site. The inhibitory is the 505, and the activation one is tyrosine 394. Those two sites are going to regulate LCK activity. So you get a phosphorylation of the immune tyrosine-based activating motifs. Those are called ITAMs, okay? And that's done by the LCK and induces a recruitment of all these other kinases that leads ultimately to full T-cell activation. So phosphorylation of the LCK is going to be positively regulated by CD45, and negatively regulated by the C-terminal CERC kinase, that's the CSK, itself regulate, regulated by that phosphoprotein associated with the gem. That is the PAG we talked about, right? Also linked to that is the CERC homology 2 domain containing the protein tyrosine phosphatase. That's called SHIP1. So you get the regulation of the phosphatases, such as the SHIP1, and it's strongly influenced by the oxidation state, which has to do with the amount of reactive oxygen. And another pathway I've talked about quite a bit in T-cells called the NERF2 pathway. So NERF2 um, evaluation quantification within the cell in resting and activating, these would be anti-CD3, CD28 T-cell lineages, occurs in young versus older individuals. And that's been shown uh, very well represented in multiple papers in humans and human clinical studies. In addition to that, there are other regulatory mechanisms that function rapidly as negative feedback loops for 
what could be called the T-cell receptor signalosome. Now, one of those key features involves those phosphatases like SHIP1. So a reduction in SHIP1 activity, when you get initial stimulation, will lower, this is really important, the threshold, because those two tyrosine residues, the threshold for TCR activation. So it seems that under a weak stimulatory process, that LCK kinase associates with and phosphorylates SHIP1. And the activity of that then becomes reduced, but not sufficiently to allow for the full signal transduction to occur. Got that? So under a strong stimulatory condition, LCK kinase activity would increase or become or overpower and therefore be sufficient when SHIP1 activity is reduced during those very early stages of signaling transduction. Now, in turn, when that signal starts to weaken, SHIP1 activity increases, sophosphatase, and consequently will downregulate the kinase, LCK. Okay, so many other negative feedback mechanisms are going to be in operation here in the later stages of TCR uh, signaling. I just told you about the initial phase. Okay, and remember, young versus old, you get a totally different scoring of that regulation. The CD28 is no longer functioning fully with that SHIP1 and that LCK protein to be able to control the phosphatase kinase pathways because of the alteration of phosphorylation of those tyrosine residues as those proteins are moving in and out of lipid rafts into the T-cell plasma membrane upon that initial stimulation, causing that migration of proteins within the plasma membrane, right? Because of the presentation from the APC. All right. So now I think you're at a point where we can sort of uh, jump off because I think we're probably pretty late on here in this lecture. I gave you a lot of information and I want you to uh, digest that and, um, you know, think about where all of these different parameters we've been talking about for the last several weeks and months are starting to crystallize out. We were talking for many, many, many lectures about how T cells are differentiated. Now we're talking about T cells upon activation, stimulation, and utilization in the aging human. And very first take-home message you can take from the other ones, I'm bracketing this one off because this is going to be a critical, very deeply molecular approach to our understanding of aging is that T-cell receptor really needs that CD28 pathway I just went through with the CDK and the SHIP1 proteins and the CD45, the PAG, all these proteins functioning in coordinate matter within that membrane, all because of membrane lipid protein interactions upon the cell-cell interaction with the two receptors binding to the APC one holding the antigen with an MHC complex and the other one being that co-stimulatory protein. And CD3 is also always there causing a conformational topodynamic shift at a T-cell receptor to become fully activated because it can then be associated with those kinases that can trigger the subsequent responses intracellularly that I just went through. 
Okay. And what I'm telling you is that aging causes a disturbance in that CD28 pathway. Not so much with the TCR, which remember was spent, a lot of time was spent to, to generate the right recombinant for that protein so that it wouldn't recognize self. But when you lack that co-stimulatory control, the T cell receptor could be invariantly under or overstimulated depending on other factors like the cytokine, chemokine organization at that immune synapse with the APC. And that's one of the ways that the aging population loses its differential regulation of T-cell-mediated acquired immune response, either at the level of uh, T-cell receptor in uh, nascent T-cells or in the memory cells, which even lag uh, more and more behind because their CD28 becomes more and more corrupted as you age because of the memory cells. Aging themselves, therefore generating immunosenescence. Okay, I think that's, I think I summarized that pretty well. So again, this is Dr. Dan Guerra on the 26th of October, very close to Halloween uh, in the year 2021, which is a very scary year. Uh, and I'm saying uh, from Authentic Biochemistry from the Pacific and the Northwest to all my national and international uh, compatriots in Authentic Biochemistry, I'm saying bye for now.